It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. My name is Tom Scarda. I am the host and been in this role for, man, about six years. Um have many episodes out there. So this is a one-stop shop for everything you want to know about franchising, how to buy a franchise, how to sell your franchise, how to turn your business into a franchise, everything that you need. Today is a unique episode. So talking about actually investing in franchises. So I have with me today, Alicia Miller. So Alicia is the co-founder, managing director of Catalyst Insight Group which is a boutique investment bank and a strategic advisory firm focused on franchising. And so she supports franchise brands that are in kind of a growth mode and also franchises that are having transformation challenges, which is one way to say it. Um, Growing pains is the way I would say it. And so she works with platforms, equity, private equity firms and family offices that are investing in franchises, which is really interesting. She serves on the board um, of the International Franchise Association's um, CFE program, which is Certified uh, Franchise Executive. That's the CFE at the end of my name that you might see if I ever correspond with you. And she does monthly column in uh, Franchise Times about franchising and best practices. And she holds an MBA at Wharton School at, at the University of Pennsylvania, Masters of Science from the University of Maryland, and has graduated from Smith College and earned a graduate certificate in franchise management, management from Georgetown University, which is a lot. Wow. Welcome, Alicia. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me, Tom. It's nice to be here. Yeah, this is so cool. Um, and and not, you're not kind of the typical guest that I have. Um, and so you're, you're, uh, you know, coming into franchising on a whole different angle with this investment vehicle. So the, the catalyst group or or catalyst insight group, Mm -hmm. what exactly is it? (laughs) We're a boutique advisory firm, really. So we have deep expertise in franchising. We also have an emerging practice in cannabis, as it turns out. Um, we really work with uh, franchisors who have reached a, a growth impasse and they want to transform their business. We also do quite a lot of work with family offices, private equity firms, and platforms that are investing in franchises, so buying up the entire brand and adding it into their, into their platform. Uh, our clients combined have assets under management over $16 billion and operations in more than 30 countries. Is it franchising exclusively, or do you work with other investors that are just, you know, doing M&A, mergers and acquisition type work, or what have you? It's primarily based on franchising, but as uh, we'll talk about, um, I would say the lack of having lots of quality available opportunities in franchising is driving a a lot of investors out of franchising and looking for opportunities in other sectors non-franchise oh. sectors, just to keep the deals kind of flowing. Oh, okay. I understand we'll that. We'll talk about that. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, so 
if, if I'm an investor group, um, why would I want to invest in a franchise? PE firms and family offices love franchising. I mean, think about it. It's uh, you've got a contractual relationship with a franchisee that's um, very easy to understand. There's a royalty stream and there's uh, technology fees and marketing fees. Everything's sort of laid out. It's a long-term relationship. Um, it's a great way to expand across a geographical area using the power of lots and lots of entrepreneurs to spread a brand. Um, and it's a proven model. I mean, franchising has created literally hundreds of thousands of successful entrepreneurs over decades. And um, that's why investors like it. They know, you know, there's, they can see the trajectory of where it's going. They can invest with confidence, um, you know, go to do your due diligence, of course, but um, it's a proven model and that's why investors like it. Amen to that. So, how, how does a franchise company, like if I founded a franchise and I'm, you know, I have a cleaning company and I have a hundred franchisees or, you know, whatever it might be, uh, and we're doing well, the franchisees are doing well. Why, why would I want to get involved uh, with, you know, private and equity? So uh, that's a good question. So not everyone does. There are plenty of franchise concepts out there where the founding family still controls that franchise and they do very well. So there's nothing that says you have to do a transaction at any point. Um, but I think it is becoming uh, much, much more common that that's what ends up happening. So if you're thinking about becoming a franchisee in a particular concept, and they're not currently owned by a private equity firm or family office or a platform, just realize that there's a pretty good chance that during your, you know, six, 10, eight year um, license agreement, that is going to trade. Uh, they, they very well could get acquired and you just need to be comfortable with that and know that that's uh, just sort of what is happening. Um, if they're already private equity owned, or owned by a platform, then I would suggest as you're doing your due diligence, talk to franchisees that were around before and after and ask them, what happened? Did they invest? Um, has the franchise grown since them? Are they great to work with? Uh, what's the relationship like, et cetera? So you can really kind of shake down what's gone on since the change in ownership. Yeah. So as a franchise consultant, I'm coaching people through the process of buying a franchise daily basis, doing it 17 years now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I'm excited about PE uh, or, or these kind of, you know, li liquidity events for a lot of these franchise companies, because it enables the franchisor, whether the founder stays there or a new CEO or president comes in, it enables them to invest heavily in the infrastructure of the franchise. And so correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, now you're able to hire a really great person and pay them well to run the company. You're able to invest in marketing tools and websites and not to mention searching for the right franchisees uh, and having the best franchisees coming in. You could spend a lot of, on marketing in that respect. Is, is that, am I on the mark you're with on, that? Yeah, you're on the right track. So if you think about a brand that's starting from nothing as a bootstrap, strap brand and you're starting out, the things that typically where there's underinvestment are things like franchise development, back office support, tech, tech stack uh, in particular, and marketing. Are those are the big four where an emerging brand, you know, you have to get the wind under your sails, you got to get enough um, franchisees and be royalty self-sufficient before you can start to afford all those things. But 
making those investments is exactly what private equity is good at, right? So having private equity involved in franchising has transformed franchising, has professionalized it, but has really accelerated it because they can take a great emerging brand and invest in exactly those things that stimulate growth. You can't cut your way to growth, right? That's not what these guys are doing. Um, they've got a fairly tight time frame. They've got, you know, three, usually three to eight years is their window when they've got to grow it, mature the system, and then hopefully sell it upstream or take it public. Um, so figure five years on average, that's a pretty tight time frame. So they're not cutting their way to making that that brand grow bigger. They're going to be investing in that brand and they want to have, they want to invest in a brand that's got a good team, uh, good bones, really good concept, strong franchisee value proposition. And they know that with the investments, uh, what they're good at, they can come in and really set that brand on fire. It's, it's, so if I'm someone looking for a franchise um, and it is, uh, now owned by an, an equity firm or or a family, you know, that invests in these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Are there certain things I should be looking out for or certain questions I should ask? There are similar questions that you would ask in any franchise that you would want to that you would want to be involved in. You want to talk to a lot of franchisees. You want to understand the business model in excruciating detail. How are you going to make money? How fast can you ramp up? Um, you know, how much capacity do you need to maintain in the business just to break even on your costs and things like that? Um, you want to talk to franchisees about what uh, the relationship is like. Do they feel supported? Um, do they feel like there's an open communication with the management team, no matter who the management team is or who the ownership team is? Those are all the same things. You just want to ask even more questions, knowing that um, it is already private equity earn, owned or that it could at some point be owned by someone other than the folks you're transacting with now. Just you want to ask a lot of questions uh, about what that could mean. Right. And then how does the relationship change? But but essentially yeah. when a franchise, so when equity or whomever buys in the franchise, buys into it or buys it out, um, the franchise owner's contract doesn't change, does it? No. No, it transfers to the new owner. So usually, usually what you'll find is that once a private equity firm takes it over, usually franchisees will see a surge of investment. They will see some of the stuff, the, the common pain points like the tech stack, for example, or marketing are kind of areas that uh, a new owner will immediately come in and want to make investments. And, and so it's really, really healthy then for a franchise company to take on this kind of partner or or buyout. It is, but I like everything else. You've got to you've got to really ask questions of your partner and make sure it's a good fit for you, and make sure that the ownership is working out as as intended. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, how are platforms changing uh, in franchising, in your opinion? So, I think platforms, which is really just another way of saying consolidation uh, is is changing franchising in some ways even more than private equity ownership is. Um, and a lot of these platforms are actually backed by private equity firms. Um, but in my opinion, platforms are have changed franchising because they've really um, cut down the oxygen for emerging brands. 
because an emerging brand now has to compete with a, a brand, a competitor that's in their same sector, that's part of a platform. That platform gets to share all the back office. So all the, you know, the legal team, the finance team, the marketing team, et cetera. If they have a call center, they've got a tech stack, all that stuff gets rolled up. Plus they're able to share leads, franchisee leads and customer leads. So as an emerging brand, you know, if you're launching into, let's say you're a home services brand and you've got a concept and you've got, you know, 25 units, it's a great concept. But in the home services space, I had to, I had to write them all down. There's so many of them. There are platforms, neighborly, premium service brands, authority brands, home service concepts, buzz brands, horsepower brands, threshold brands, five-star franchising, stellar brands, home-based franchise group, and that's just the 10 that I came up with in a short uh, look. All of those firms have huge teams working very aggressively to grow those companies. Now you're competing with this, a brand within that platform. Everything just got more expensive for you as an emerging brand, right? So you're out there fighting for attention from prospective franchisees, and those franchisees are very rightly looking at you and looking at, you know, a competitor brand under a platform and saying, okay, if I come over to you, you've got a small team to support me. If I come over here on this platform, they've got a ginormous team to support me. And they've already got franchisees and other brands in my market generating leads, consumer leads. Those are households I could tap into immediately. So that's what's really changed. Um, platforming is proliferating across franchising like crazy. Um, it started in you know, restaurants and home services, and now it's going to pets and um, elder care services, child services, you name it, and you can build a platform around it. So uh, it's, it's really changing franchising quite fast. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and this is, um... I, you know, just as a consultant, there's a lot for me to even kind of comment about what you just said. And and it's interesting because I've been noticing that. And so if I, if we work with like a premium service brands, they have, I believe, 10 verticals right now. Um, if, if like this franchise is not a fit, you know, you could talk to them about this franchise too. And, yeah. you know, and, and it's really interesting in that respect. Um, and, and so it gives it them- It also gives you some long-term multi-unit options. So if you come into a market, like I'm based in Columbus, if I were to buy into one of the big platforms in a particular vertical, let's say I, I picked up a landscaping company to start with, you know, I could add other brands in my same market and not get a bunch of windshield time in between the far-flung markets. I've done that as a multi-unit franchise franchisee. That's hard. Um, so it just gives you more, more optionality really to go expand your business. And that's what I share with my candidates all the time as a, I, I think of myself as a multi-unit strategist for, for these folks. And, and it's an easy fit because as, as you know, my, one of my great friends says, uh, Paul Flick, who, who owns premium service brands, says, um, you know, once we're in your house, let's own the home. So if you have a plumbing problem, we got We have that franchise. If you have a wall, you know, you need a paint job, we have that franchise. If you need, you know, whatever, lawn service, we have that franchise. And so it's, um, and as a franchisee, you could, in a town, instead of, you know, going just um, a, a 10 miles wide and a mile deep, you could go 
50 miles wide and 100 miles deep with several franchise concepts under your belt. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you're just leveraging the, the kind of the contacts you already have, your customer base. Um, and so it is brilliant from that standpoint. And you, and you don't have to buy three brands or 10 brands on day one. You buy one brand and you learn franchising and then you right. go buy other one. And so, so I love that part. Thank you for bringing that up. It's a great thing. But juxtaposed to that, I just wanted to add that um, as a franchisee, uh, like I was like the 25th franchisee of a brand when I bought my first franchise. The nice thing about that as they're emerging um, is that you get very focused attention from like the founder, you know, because it's a small organization. So, they, they, you know, they can coddle you. And for some people like me, I needed that as, as a new business owner. Um, yeah. So that was really unbelievable for me. But that could be, be a tough transition. If you join a franchise brand and you feel like you joined a small family and you really got to know the founding team very personally, um, it can, you know, things change. The system gets bigger and you get less, it's harder to get on the phone with people, you know, used to be you could just call them on their cell and you'd get them and now they're busier. That's just, that's part of being a successful growing business, frankly. So um, yeah, it's, things can change. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And, and it's just very much, um, uh, it's almost a choice. Um, and it's almost something now that as I interview new candidates for franchises, sort of a question I have to ask is, are you comfortable with a smaller emerging brand? Here's the pros and cons or something that is older, maybe has private equity or is about to, um, would you be okay with that? It's kind of, you know, you, you just made me think about that. So I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look, there's, there's also brands that have been around for quite a while that are a little calcified. And so a new owner comes in, is going to make some changes. Some of those changes franchisees might like some of them they might not like. So just really need to do your homework and assess when you're looking at a brand, you know, where, where's the trajectory of this brand? Where is it going just on its own? What, you know, what's the, what are the strengths of this management team? And then look at it across sort of the spectrum of franchising. Is it an emerging brand? Is it a regionally strong brand? Is it national? Has it got international? Is it part of a platform? Is it not part of a platform? Who owns it? Um, and what are their nearest competitors? Where are they on the spectrum? Um, just you got to kind of think all that through. Yeah, there's a lot to think through, but that's where I come in and to help people that's do that. Why you get help. <laughs> Don't try and do it on your on your own. Get get some help. Talk to a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. And that's the beautiful thing about franchising. In my opinion, I don't know of really any other investment where you could talk to the end user, you know, the franchise owner yeah. and, and ask questions and get really serious answers. <laughs> some answers you may not want to hear, um, but that's a good thing. <laughs> so how do you help founders, right? Somebody's in the business and uh, they've been doing it for 10 or 20 years. How do you help them exit? So when a founder is thinking about um, taking chips off the table, whether it's completely exiting the business or just selling a, a portion of it and bringing on a partner who can help them get to the next level and continue to grow, um, you know, we work with founders very far in advance. We're not transaction managers. We are strategic advisors. So we really need to understand what their objectives are and what their time frame is. And we can help them build over time toward 
uh, an exit scenario that feeds their meets their needs and also helps them build a company that can extract the most value from that transaction, right? So um, by the time you decide to, you know, go to market, so to speak, you know, your value is sort of already baked. You need to go way in advance of that and think about, okay, if I want to do a, a transaction next year or the year after, what do I need to do right now that builds value once I get to having that conversation with a potential buyer. And some of it's really straightforward things like you need to have clean books, you need to have audited financials, you need to have your data room ready to go and all that kind of stuff. Um, but a lot of the other elements are, you know, have, do you have a deep enough bench on your management team? Uh, if not, now would be a good time to maybe add a couple of key strategic hires so that buyer doesn't automatically sort of discount uh, the business because of the key man risk where you're, leaving and there's no one to fill your shoes. There's, um, you know, there's other things that you can put in place well in advance. And we work with founders to help identify those things, get them going, get them in place, build toward that value. And then we also help them sort of navigate the process, uh, you know, think through who potential buyers might be, what they might value. They're all a little bit different. They all value slightly different things. So you want to kind of be ready for that. And then we take them through a structured process to help them find the right, the right partner. So how far in advance should somebody start thinking about this? Like I decided, okay, I want to do an exit as a founder, president of my company. I'm looking for some private company to buy me out. What's a good time frame? Uh, it's, it's the same thing you would tell an individual franchisee. You need to start thinking about it from the first day that you start the business before you even get into the business. You got to think about sort of what, What's going to happen at the at the end when you're ready to move on and do other things? It's no different for a franchise founder. They just have more, uh, you know, more things going on, so they've got more more issues they need to think through. The longer you can do it in advance, the better. And that includes things like having conversations with your own family, um, so that they're sort of all on the same page, or your ownership group if you've got you know friends and family in your business. Um, to make sure everybody's sort of on the same page so that you don't kind of come to the sale event and, you know, your brother raises his hand and goes, hey, I thought I was taking over the business. You know, you need to work that stuff out way in advance. <laughs> There's a lot to think about then going into this. Do you ever see, this kind of a little bit off the path, but do you often see um, PE money going into uh, regional development groups um, you know, like a there's a, a maybe a company that owns 50 Taco Bells and and 50, you know, I don't know, Panera Breads. Um, yeah. You know, and they're a multi million dollar company on their own, but they're a franchise franchisee of the bigger brand. Yeah, some. Yeah, there are some large operators who are bigger than franchisors, right? So definitely, there's quite a lot of activity there as well. They're they're back. They tend to back operating teams and they're funding an operating team that's really good at running a lot of say restaurants for example um so definitely see a lot of activity there that's great that's that's just so so interesting to me um and a lot of great stuff going on in this kind of world um how how does a franchise founder kind of uh, find you or or decide like i'm ready to go um do you guys do like, I know I've been to meetings uh, where, you know, franchise meetings where it's almost like a shock tank where the franchise founder is presenting to 
equity groups? Is there things like that that are going on in franchising? Yeah. Yeah, it can be a little bit of a feeding frenzy. Um, that's why, you know, we advise take a step back and you, it, we would advise, of course, working with a third party like ourselves, who is working with a number of private equity firms and platforms, um, you know, because we don't represent anyone exclusively, we can have, we have a different perspective on how to really think about this long-term and how to build the exit that you're looking for. Take some advanced planning, some introspection, some time. You know, sometimes you feel a little bit more almost like a counselor than a strategist, but you've, you've got to put all the, the pieces in place ahead of time. When you're, when you're talking to private equity firms, um, you know, they do want to build relationships early. There is some value in that. Um, but you've got to be a little careful too, because if you're not ready to actually do a transaction yet, um, you don't necessarily want to give them a free peek too close at what you're doing until you're ready. And you're, you know, kind of like staging a house. Um, you don't want the buyer to walk through until you've swept the floor and uh, finished the patio kind of thing. It's, it's really not that much different when you're selling a business. Um, so definitely when you go to those conferences, it's good to talk to people to get a sense of their, every firm has their own personality and, um, you know, it's good to understand their track record and talk to them, but you want to kind of take a step back from away from all of them and um, have a plan uh, so that when you are ready to go to market, you've got a strategy. That's great advice. It's so great. Um, I'm so excited by this information. It's crazy. Um, I want to take a little turn towards um, just a little bit more about you. Um, do you have a favorite book that you would recommend? A favorite book? Um, well, I guess for the purposes of your viewers, I would probably not recommend a book. I, I would say the two reading, the two things you need to read, you need to read your FDD very closely, and you need to read a lot of other FDDs too. Uh, I actually think there's value in taking the time to read competitor FDDs and really understanding the differences between the concepts, um, you know, get some help from somebody like Tom to kind of just decipher what's going on. Um, you should probably have a franchise attorney, not a real estate attorney, not a divorce attorney, somebody who really understands franchising. If there's anything in that document you don't understand. I would also advocate for um, reading franchisee surveys. Uh, franchise Business Review, as one example, does uh, annual surveys of franchise franchisors and how that how those franchisees feel about what's going on in that franchise. You should read that. Um, if you are buying a franchise, it wouldn't also hurt to touch base with firms like uh, Frandata or Franchise Grade. They do reports on franchises uh, as well. You want to read everything that's not nailed down about that franchise uh, while you're thinking of investing in it. Uh, and that's before you even start talking to, to franchisees. Franchise Business Review, or FBR for short, is, is one of my favorites because they do an anonymous survey, just for the people yeah. listening, I know you know this. Um, it, it's just an anonymous survey of franchisees. And so you get the real truth about what's going on. And then they go back to the franchisor, They're very general, right? They'll go back and, and say, so here's your report. And if it looks bad, <laughs> you know, they may not want to have it published, but if it's a great one. Well, I mean, but that's, but that's a good forcing function for you. If you're shopping for a franchise, um, if you ask your franchise, well, do you have a survey? 
if they've got more than say, you know, 25 ish units, they should be starting to survey. Um, and if they don't do a survey or they won't give it to you, uh, I, I think that tells you a lot. Uh, so ask them what they're, what, what's their mechanism for finding out if their franchisees are happy? You know, I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. It, it's, um, it's a force mechanism that, um, you know, as, as a novice person buying a franchise, you know, you're looking at the list and, you know, if, if they're not on the list, that raises a question, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and feel the same way, by the way. So we, so last, you know, so you and I were talking before this got started last year was really busy for us. We did, um, we, we advised on more than $400 million worth of completed franchise acquisitions last year. So crazy busy. Um, the, those private equity firms do not move forward in due diligence without franchisee surveys, unless it's a teeny tiny emerging brand where, you know, they haven't really reached that level of maturity yet. If it's a brand that's, you know, of reasonable size and has been around for a while and there's no franchise survey, um, that's a huge red flag for them and guarantees that private equity firm is going to want to talk to franchisees before they move forward. So then you have live interviews with the private equity firm and your franchisees. So I advise get the surveys done ahead of time. That's one of those sort of long-term checklist things. It's good to get it done early. That is pretty cool. Um, so I can almost um, deduce that what you're saying is, if you're looking at franchises and you find one that has a great private equity group behind it with a track record, you can almost feel a little bit conf a little bit more confident that that franchise company is a good company because they vetted it essentially, right? They did, but you know, be careful of taking any um, due diligence shortcuts just because mm -hmm. somebody, you know, um, you know, you get a stamp of an Ivy League degree on your resume and everybody thinks, okay, you know, you don't need to vet that person now. Uh, you need to still do your homework and re realize also that that private equity firm may sell the business while you own it. So um, you, you still want to do a lot of homework. You want to ask a lot of questions of franchisees and, and understand the business and make sure it's really, truly a fit for you, for your skills, your circumstances and your market. I love that. You're speaking my language. That's exactly what I do. That's what I advise people to do. So um, can you provide any parting advice for folks that are thinking about investing in a franchise and, and also how people get in touch with you? Sure. I would say, you know, parting advice um, is don't be afraid. Uh, I know that there's, it's a lot of work to do this much diligence. It's worth it. Um, feel you will feel so much more confident and prepared if you've done the homework. Don't don't shortchange yourself by shortcutting your due diligence process. You know, talk to a lot of franchisees. They can give you the real skinny of what's going on. Get help from somebody like Tom. Um, you know, look at franchise business review reviews. Read what's going on online. Go back in time, do a search on that franchise and read over time kind of what's been going on. Look at their, look at the FDD, see how their growth has changed over time. Um, you know, all of those things are really important. And if you are methodical about your analysis and you feel really comfortable that this is the right fit, then, um, you know, you're going to have a much more successful outcome 
then if you kind of rush through because you're excited, it's, you know, it's great to be excited. It's great to find something you're passionate about, but you know, you're doing this because you want a specific outcome. You need to keep asking yourself, is this going to give me the outcome that I'm looking for? Well said. So well said. Thank you so much for that. How do people get in touch with you? Sure. My email is amiller at catalystinsightgroup.com or just look me up on LinkedIn, Alicia Miller at catalystinsightgroup.com. I'd be happy to answer any questions or point you in the right direction if I'm not uh, the right person, if I'm not the right resource. Yeah, well, thank you for that. And all that information and Alicia's contact info will be on thefranchiseacademy.com. So you can check it out there, of course. But this has been really great, really insightful. Um, I think we're going to have to have you back and do more of this. Um, I got so many more questions. I'll be happy to come back. Yeah, I have, I have so many more questions and not enough time today. <laughs> so this is so great. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. It was nice catching up. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And we'll talk soon. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.